Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Well, hello there, family. It is good to see all of you here today. And if you're feeling a little tight, you're thinking, man, this this is pretty packed. I have uh, let you know, first service, less packed. (laughs) Just saying. If you you want a little bit more space, you do have to wake up a little earlier. But, you know, so uh, what I'm trying to say is don't quit coming because it's packed, right? I'm just saying there's other, you know, so I'm just letting you know. And then, uh, and then if it gets packed to first service, we'll have to figure out something else. Yeah, we can handle that. We can figure that out. We're those kind of problem solvers. All right, and I do wanna say thank you. Thank you, so many of you invite your friends to come and be here and be a part of things, and we just, we're so happy you do that. Let's pray. Dear God, we wanna thank you so much for this family time. Thank you for being here with us because you promised you would be where two or three are gathered in your name, and there's more than two or three here. So now, God, I just want to ask you to get Ken out of the way, get him way out of the way, and you say what you want to say. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, so we're doing a series called Great Questions. It's where you get to ask whatever question you want to hear me preach on. It's uh, my way of giving you no excuse uh, when I have people come up to me like, Pastor, you never preach on this. I'm like, well, you had your chance. Um, So this is a series that we do every year. Um, So if you didn't put a question this year, start thinking now about a question you might want to ask in a future year. And so the question that was selected for me, and by the way, the the questions are anonymous unless the person chooses to let me know who they are. So I don't know who you are. Um, I do know today's because the person came up to me and let me know I better do a good job. So (laughs) no pressure, no pressure. All right, today's great question is, is it ever okay to do bad things to God? And what I told that person was, thank you for the easy question. I have never preached a a one-word sermon before. No. (laughs) We're we're done, right? No, okay. All right. The, The person also thought I needed to say a little bit more, so we'll do a little bit more, all right? So to give you a clue of where I'm headed, this is the sermon title that I've chosen for you. When a bad thing is a good thing. When a bad thing is a good thing. So I do need, um, I do need some help for my uh, first little illustration. And people who sit on the front row are usually uh, good candidates to help me out. I see people looking at the sky and looking at their shoes. And uh, let me see here. You know what? Can I pick on my daughter? Will she let me? Okay. Yeah. Kyla's home from college. Yeah. She was saying it was cold, so we let her borrow the uh, sweatshirt I keep in my office. There we go. Yes. All right. So if, if you've never um, appreciated, the United States has, we're, we're pretty privileged when it comes to health care. Not just in Orlando, but around the United States. We're pretty privileged. And a lot of times you don't see some of the diseases, illnesses, and um, things that you'll see in other parts of the world where they're not as privileged to have the same level of health care 
as we have here in the United States. And one of the things that I remember vividly seeing in another part of the world um, was a person who was bent over at the waist. Um, and whenever they walked, they, it, what, they didn't straighten out. They were bent over at the waist. So Rochelle, or Kyla, um, yeah, there we go. I have a child, I'm pretty sure. Okay, here we go. All right, so Kyla, Kyla saw this first service. I had somebody else do it first service. but uh, So Kyla's just going to stay like this. How comfortable does that look? Now, do you want to, how many of you would like to stay here, say, see, stay this way for the next 20 minutes? She's my child, right? No, no. You guys are so sweet. All right. So I'm taking it then that you would not be cool with her staying that way for the next 18 years. Because there are people that are in that condition for long periods of time. And in the Bible, in the chapter in Luke, which is one of the Gospels in the New Testament, Luke chapter 13 records that there was a woman who was bent over at the waist for 18 years. So can you imagine seeing Kyla come to church every week like that? Every week. Can you imagine living like that? Well, in the book of Luke, the Bible records that Jesus happened to be the guest preacher that week in the synagogue. And Jesus saw that woman crippled. And what I love is that in this, it doesn't say that Jesus felt compassion, which Jesus, it says in other places that Jesus feels compassion when he heals them. But, but by the way he speaks to this woman, you feel the compassion. And there's a difference, by the way, between pity and compassion. And it's an important distinction to understand the difference too. Jesus felt compassion for this woman and he looked at her and the reason we can know he felt compassion is he says, daughter. And he uses this beautiful, it is a very nurturing, a very encompassing, a very loving word. He says, daughter, stand up. And then it says that Jesus did something that probably hadn't happened to this woman in a long She was touched. He touched her. And immediately... She stood up. The reason why I had Kyla and I had a volunteer first service come out and do this is I want you to feel the uncomfortableness of this. When you see that, it's a different thing, right? I mean, I can put this picture up on the screen, but it's another thing to see another human being in that, in that position. By the way, uh, a friend of mine was uh, named Melanie was saying that in one of, uh, one of the books she was reading or, or listening to a sermon or something, the person asked, what do you think after 18 years when that woman needed to, when she met somebody to know who they were, she had to look at their shoes or sandals? In that, think about that though. I mean, that's, that, would be if her, that would be her perspective. Thank you, Kyla. You can go sit down. Yeah. Welcome home. Um, so Jesus has compassion on this woman. He heals her. And so what may be a little shocking to the rest of us is that not everybody in the synagogue was happy about it. In fact, the main pastor, we'll call him Ken, just so that we can, you know, Ken wasn't happy. Ken said, Jesus, 
there are six days for healing. And you know the fourth commandment because you call yourself a rabbi, although I don't remember seeing you in seminary. And if you'd paid attention or if you'd been to seminary, you'd know that the Sabbath is the Sabbath and we don't do that on the Sabbath. You could do it on Sunday. You could do it on Monday. You could have done it yesterday. Instead, you show up into my synagogue and you heal somebody on the Sabbath. Now, this might not really resonate with all of you as much as it would have resonated with a Jewish listener, but let's understand how Shabbat, Sabbath, worked in Jesus' time in his culture. And honestly, it still kind of continues to this day within Jewish circles. Um, For instance, if you have Jewish friends, you may realize that if they are observant, they don't turn on the lights on Shabbat. They 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 won't even push up And the reason is, is because as my friend Saul, who's a rabbi, when I was talking to Saul, Saul said, we don't do any creative acts. When you think about all the things that happened during the week of creation, we think about the things that God ceased from doing on the Sabbath. And what was the first thing God did? He created light. So we, in honor of that, we don't don't create light on the Sabbath. It's one of our ways of remembering that God alone is the creator and not me. It's a beautiful thing, really. It's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. And, and so the rabbi, Ken, Ken is saying to Jesus, look, buddy, you could have done this any one of six other days. Why are you going to come in here and do it on this day? And Jesus says something that is pretty harsh. He says, hypocrite. Ken, you're a hypocrite. Ken, don't you, don't you untie, don't you loose, don't you release your donkey and your ox on Sabbath so they can go get water and eat? Don't, don't you loose them, don't you release them? Then isn't it right, how much more so is it right for me to loose, release this daughter of God? Now, we hear that and we think, wow, look at Jesus putting out that new teaching, throwing that out, and man, boy, that rabbi, he must have been surprised to hear that. No, the rabbi knew that Jesus had correctly spoken. The rabbi knew that Jesus wasn't throwing out something new. Jesus was reminding him of a principle called this. You see, I say this because I'm bad at translating anything other than English. I barely can speak English. Um, this is a principle in Judaism. It would have been very familiar to the rabbi and the people in Jesus' time. The, it's, it's, um, it's what's called a mizpah. It's an idea of a, a, a law, a principle that you base how you do things off of. And so this particular one, I became aware of it because I'm listening to a book by a guy named Dennis Prager, um, called The Rational Bible, The Book of Deuteronomy. And Dennis has gone through, he's, a, um, he's Jewish, he's a conservative radio talk show host, and he's written, a, he's written some commentaries on uh, the first few books of the Bible. And so Dennis, as I'm listening to this commentary, Dennis is talking about Deuteronomy, and he, he says, and, and it really caught my attention, he said, within Judaism, it is considered 
it is all right to break a commandment in order to preserve life. And Dennis said, actually, it goes one step further. Not only is it okay to break a commandment to preserve life, it's required. It's re- you are actually breaking the law if you don't break the law to preserve life. And it's this particular phrase back here. Dennis doesn't say this particular phrase, but in my research, this is, this is the phrase. And the, the rabbis base it off of this text in Leviticus, which I'd never read this way until I started studying this. And by the way, this is where you can find out fascinating things about your own faith by studying other faiths, uh, and Judaism in particular. Um, Leviticus 18 says, you must obey all my regulations and be careful to obey my decrees, for I am the Lord your God. If you obey my decrees and my regulations, you will find life through them. I am the Lord. So the rabbis correctly say the whole purpose of Torah, the whole purpose of God's law, the whole purpose of Leviticus, the whole purpose of all those regulations is to give people life. That's the purpose. When God says, do this, do this, do this, it was because it was supposed to give life. Now, a few of you are thinking of some things in Leviticus and you go, I don't know about what I... But that's what the rabbis teach, that all those laws were there to make life better, to give life. And so when Jesus talks to this rabbi, he's reminding him the whole purpose of the Sabbath is about life. And so when I heal this, yeah, I could have, I could have healed her on any one of the other days, but what better day to release her than on the Sabbath? He says it this way in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. These, by the way, are three things that take life away. Stealing, killing, and destroying. Jesus says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So the first principle of two principles that I want us to understand when it comes to, is it ever okay to do a bad thing for God? Is that we have to ask the question before we do something, is what I am about to do life-giving? Does it enhance life? Does it save life? Does it make life better? Or is it destroying? Is it killing Is it stealing? So the first question when I ask myself, is this something I ought to do or is this something I ought not to do is to ask myself this principle because what God never expected us to do in which in fact, I think he becomes a little bit embarrassed of us, if I might say, is that we shut our brains off and we make the checklist out of his laws and we are like, I don't have to think about it anymore. God said, therefore, boom. And God said, no, 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 no context matters. Sometimes the loving thing to do is not this in this situation. Sometimes the loving thing is to do something else. For instance, Mother's Day several, many years ago, I was far away from Rochelle. We were were transitioning jobs. Rochelle was having to finish up a teaching job. I was in Tennessee and I decided to fly home to surprise her for Mother's Day. And for some reason, I had to tell Kyla and Eric that I was going to do it. I can't remember if it's because they're going to somebody's house and I need them to be ready for that or what. So we have a little rule in our house that Rochelle and I have a, a, a strong rule that, that we don't tell our kids, don't tell mom, don't tell dad. 
we, because we've taught our kids that they don't keep secrets from us. It's one of the ways that we keep them safe from predators. And parents just know that. When you teach your kids to keep secrets, it's not a good thing. So we, we taught our kids don't keep secrets. You don't keep secrets from the mommy and daddy. Mom and dad will never ask you to keep secrets from each other. And suddenly I was telling my kids, I need you to keep a secret from mom. But context matters. In this particular case, it was for Rochelle's good. It was going to be a beautiful surprise for her. I would, I'd been gone for over, I think, maybe two months at that point, and I was going to finally get to be home and surprise her for Mother's Day. And I wanted to surprise her. And so we had to have a conversation with kids why in this case it's okay, in that case it's not. But family, sometimes as Christians, we want to just shut our brain off and not understand that sometimes the loving thing to do is to heal the woman on Sabbath. That's the loving thing to do. And the second principle is the important addition. I, I, I kind of join these two together because it's really important. What's the loving thing to do? That's the second part of the question. What's the life-giving thing to do? What's the loving thing to do? Why do I add the loving thing to do? Why not just say, what's the life-giving thing to do? Because sometimes we can get confused about what life-giving is if we don't put it also in the context of what's loving. And sometimes we can get confused about what's loving if we don't put it in the context of what's life-giving. Those two are very important that they go together. And we need to understand that love is a huge criteria. It's what's behind all the commands that God gives in the Bible. 1 Corinthians uh, says to us in, in chapter 16, verse 14, all that you do must be done in love. And if you don't understand what love is, helpfully before this chapter, in chapter 13, we're told what love is. Love is patient. So when you ask yourself, what's the loving thing to do? Is what I'm doing patient? Is what I'm doing kind? Is what I'm doing not jealous? not boastful, not proud. Is what I'm doing not rude? A lot of people like to be rude in Jesus' name. Well, you know, eating that or drinking that's not the right thing to do. I'm just giving you the truth. Well, don't forget Ephesians 4 says, speak the truth in love, which is not rude. Think about it. If, it's, if you're being rude, you're not doing the right thing. This doesn't mean you don't say hard things to people. It doesn't mean that you don't say things. But what it does mean is when you say it, those people know you love them, not that you're coming after them. Love, is it the thing that is not irritable? When I'm trying to decide, is it, am I keeping a record of how I've been wronged? It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Family, if we would take a look at this, we might rethink some of the biblical moral high grounds that we think we're standing on. And I certainly think that we would rethink the way that we're trying to force other people to do things. Because, see, it does not demand its own way. You see that up there? It does not demand its own way. So what does that say when we're trying to legislate our beliefs on other people? Is that demanding our own way? I think it is. 
I think we have to be really thoughtful about the way that we go about sharing the things we believe. I happen to come from the school of thought that if it really works and you're living it, other people will be drawn to it. But maybe if you're living something that doesn't look like it works, maybe if you're doing all kinds of mean, awful things, and then you're trying to tell other people where they need to be morally, maybe that doesn't carry weight, and maybe it shouldn't. You can be right and be wrong. So family, one of the things we want to think about when we think about is it okay to do a bad thing for God is... No, it's not, if it's not loving and if it's not life-giving. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. I think what's fascinating about this is what does it take to fulfill the requirements of God's law? I think what's most just jumps out at me is what's not in there. What does it not take to fulfill God's law? It doesn't say, and I, I, I've pondered this, if you love your neighbor and God, it, do, it, leaves, it doesn't say love God. It says, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God, which to me implies that loving my neighbor is loving God. That if I'm loving my neighbor, I am loving God. And I don't even have to add that in there because that's what it means to love God is to love the people that God created in his image and has placed around me. And so is it okay for me to do bad things to them on behalf of God? Well, is it life-giving? Is it loving? We've seen the text, let everything be done in love. That is the fulfillment of the law. So if you think you're fulfilling a law, but you are not loving somebody and you are not giving life to them, you're breaking the law. You're moving away from God. Now, the person who asked this question to me mentioned two women in the Bible that, as examples of, of people that maybe were doing bad things on behalf of God. There's Rahab. Um, if you're not familiar with Rahab, um, very amazing woman in the Bible. She's mentioned in the New Testament. She actually makes it into God's Hall of Fame in the book of Hebrews, um, the, chap- the faith chapter. She's one of the people. And, um, and she's not even Jewish. Um, and she's honestly not even probably who you would have picked to go in there because she was a sex worker. And yet, the Bible records her as having faith. Basically, if you don't know the story, the Israelites were about to go into Canaan, the promised land. They crossed the Jordan. They have to conquer the land, which actually has some interesting implications for today's topic. And then they send out spies, and these two spies go into Jericho. And uh, they go to Rahab's house. Think about it. And, um, and the king knows that they went there and says, hey, Rahab, send the guys out. They're spies. We need to deal with them. And Rahab is like, I don't know what you're talking about. They left early. I mean, they were here, but they're gone. They weren't gone. She hid them. She lied. Is it loving? Is it life-giving? Let's talk about Esther. Esther probably did not 
really relish the idea of being one of, I don't know how many hundreds, maybe thousands of women that got to spend one night with the king. It was like America's got talent the worst possible way. Because you have to go audition. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's pretty horrific. And Esther must have wondered why she was where she was at. That couldn't have been something that she was looking forward to after all the reason they were doing the talent search is because the last queen reasonably didn't want to do what the king had asked. And Esther is the only book in in the Bible that I'm aware of that doesn't use talk about God. Nowhere in the book, in fact, because in some you'll be like, wait a minute, isn't there a text where it says God put you here for such a time? No, it doesn't say that. It says you were brought here for such a time as that, implying God, but not, not talking about God directly. And so what becomes interesting with Esther's story is that she has to do some things that we would not want any of our daughters to have to do. And that were actually probably outside of what we would consider keeping the, the commandment on adultery. And the book of Esther seems to imply that it was because she was there to save her people. It was life-giving. It was life-giving. And she had to sacrifice probably some of the things that she had thought about to do that, which meant that she was loving out of a heart of unselfish love. So family, as we close out today, I wanted to say to you, it is not okay to do bad things for God. I wish that during some of the dark times of American history and Christian history that we would have thought, instead of using God to justify doing evil things, we would have said, no, that's not loving. Racism, racism, slavery, not loving, not life-giving. The exact opposite. You know, those crusades where we went to make people not life-giving, not loving, You know how we throw derogatory names and labels on people? Not life-giving, not loving. You know how we want to call out sin? Well, are we calling out because we love the person or because we're just happy to, we're not them? Family, it is not okay to do bad things for God. just isn't. And sometimes the things that we think, like breaking the Sabbath like Jesus did, well, that's a bad thing. No, it's the right thing. It's a good thing because we've filtered it through God's principles of, is it life-giving? Is it loving? I love this church for so many reasons, but one of the big reasons, Ken, is because it's a singing church. Being up here, it's even more powerful. Thank you all for worshiping. It's amazing. So, excellent sermon. Thank you. Answered a great question. Um, Unfortunately, we don't have any time for other questions right now. However, don't be discouraged. If you have a question you'd like for Ken to address during the podcast this week, send it to podcast at wholelife.church. They will address all questions that come in, including the ones that have already come in. But just as a teaser, there is, I'm going to just tease one question that came in. 
uh, that will be asked. So here's the one that I'm going to tease, and it's from Aaron. Aaron said, I just realized something last night. God killed to keep Adam and Eve from the elements when he provided the animal skins after they fell. Is that a bad thing that God did for a good purpose? So that's the tease. Yes. So I guess that depends on if you think animal life is equal to human life. Oh, my mother would be very upset with you for even questioning that. I'm just saying. I didn't hear a question in there. I just I was I was making a statement and a way for us to have a discussion. But anyway, thank you, Tammy, for uh, for that, and we'll we'll look forward to hearing what Melanie and Jeff have to say about that. Absolutely, and I'm looking forward to. We have another question. I'm presuming. Yeah, but I know I was naughty. I schedule my my son has to be picked up from boarding high school next week. So we took the, uh, the big pastor's rotary thing. We spun it really hard. And John Monday, will you stand up? <laughs> this one's for you. And we're back with the third question of our great question series. But this question is not for Pastor Ken because he won't be here next week. This question is for Pastor John. So John, are you ready? Here's your question for next week. In the Bible, we see examples of Jesus touching people and healing them. But we also have other examples where Jesus just speaks and people are healed. We also find examples of Jesus' disciples just speaking and performing miracles, healing people, raising people from the dead, and in one case, Peter spoke and a couple of people actually dropped dead. Jesus said we would be able to speak and move mountains. So here's the question. Do our words contain divine power? Can our words call forth divine power? And if so, how do we get that power? All right, John, no, 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 come on up, John. John, on, come on. Anderlene's really happy that wheel spun the way it did, huh? So, so uh, John doesn't need a mic. He'll get that next week. We're just going to pray for John right now. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you um, for an incredibly talented group of pastors that uh, I have the privilege to work with here at Whole Life. In all seriousness, Lord, I just pray that you'd um, give John... Uh, the wisdom as he's doing his preparation this week, that you'd guide his mind, and that you'd let him have a good word from you um, as he helps us all learn a little bit more about you. And so we also pray for each person here today that you'd watch over them and bless them this week. May they grow closer to you in their walk. May they walk with you each day. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Now, before you finish your tagline, okay. since, since I was handed a mic, I did hear the question at first service, so Ken, I didn't hear much of your sermon. I worked about halfway through. <laughs> That's next fair. That's... I want to ask everybody, in case you're an Adventist who leaves your phone off and at home on Sabbath, bring it next week. Oh, wow. John, I want to come back and preach again. Don't, don't make it so... That's awesome. All right, so two things to remind you of. Tomorrow is Mother's Day. So if you have not done what you ought to do for the mothers in your life, make sure you do that, all right? 
It would be a good thing to do, <laughs> right? A good thing? Yeah, make sure you know that. All right. And uh, so we do have some gifts for mothers, and I want to be clear about this. Hear, hear me quick. Hear, hear this, please. We believe that there are lots of different kinds of mothers in this congregation. There are those who have physically had children. There are those who are spiritual mothers. There are those who have mothered children that were not biologically their own. You're a mom. And if you're a mom, we want you to take a gift um, as you leave here today, please. Um, Because you are a mother and you are important to us. Second thing, if you ordered a t-shirt... Go to the second floor and get it. Otherwise, I am going to be giving a great giveaway of t-shirts. So you have till after uh, this service is over a little while, um, pick up your t-shirts. If you ordered one, you know who you are. You will have received multiple emails. If you didn't, you don't worry about it. Family, I love you. Go love your world. Hi, this is Randy McGray podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.